turn today to Ephesians 6, and we're going to read a few verses in chapter 6, starting with verse 10. We're going to read 10 and 11 and 14. We're talking about the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Then go down to 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And that's where we're going to end with that passage. Because today, we take up our first piece of armor. And that is the belt of truth. Okay, we started this series last week. And if you recall, last week we talked about the environment in which we're in. You know, that the environment we're in is not necessarily what we see. But there is a battle that goes on outside of the realm of what we can see. And that battle is consistent. That battle is always going on. And quite frankly, that battle is for you. That battle is good versus evil, if you want to say. Okay? That battle is for your thought process. That battle is for your effectiveness. Now, when you became saved, that battle was no longer for your soul. However, before you accept Jesus Christ, that's exactly what the battle is. It is an actual battle for your soul. Okay, but once we accept Christ as Savior, that battle becomes all about effectiveness. All about the fact that the enemy does not want you to have any influence for Jesus Christ. Because that's exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have influence. We're not supposed to just live our lives and get through as efficiently as possible without without any kind of problems, without any kind of rubbing, you know, the, the, anything that would cause aggravation, okay, that we try and stay away from. We're not supposed to get through life with as minimal of that as possible. We're supposed to declare the name of Jesus Christ as Christians. Why? Because we understand what he did on the cross for us. We understand that he gave his very life to purchase our eternal life. So because of that, we want to declare his name. We want to be effective for him. Now in the meantime, he gives us all kinds of promises that when we live a life for him, there's what? There's love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You know, there is a joy and a peace that doesn't make sense no matter what we're going through. So what we do, what Jesus tells us is you're going to have these problems. That was one of the first things that he told the disciples when he, when he said, look, I'm going to be leaving, you know, but you're going to have trouble. In fact, he told them that their very lives would be required of them. You're going to run into problems. You're going to run into people that hate you. You're going to run into people that disagree with you. But I'll be with you because I'm sending this comforter. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to help you in that. He didn't change 
what he called them to do. He didn't say, you know what, once I leave, it's going to be real tough on you, so don't worry about talking about me. Don't worry about telling your friends, you know, I'll just try and help you get through life as easy as you can. He didn't say that. He said quite the opposite. He said, I require you to open your mouth about me. I require you to share with others what I've done in your life. And by the way, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be a tough life. It's going to be, you will face things that you cannot face on your own. But don't worry, because I've got all the help you need. When I leave, when I go to sit on the throne with my Father, I will send a comforter. I will send the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying there is develop this relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is beyond your original salvation. This is beyond justification. Okay, this is beyond that ticket to heaven. I accepted Jesus Christ and I'm going to heaven. It's beyond that. It's developing a relationship with him to get through the trials that he already said he's going to place in front of us. Now, why does he do that? Why does he place, wouldn't it be so much easier if he didn't place the trial in front of us? Well, yeah, it'd be a whole lot easier. But there's a couple things that wouldn't happen out of that. One, we wouldn't see people accepting Christ because God uses people to tell other people about Jesus Christ, right? But in all honesty, we would not grow in Christ. You can't grow without trial. You get, because what is the one thing that pleases him the most? Hebrews 11.6. It's faith. Faith pleases him. You can't grow in faith unless you're tested in faith. When you have an epiphany about something, some of you this morning are going to have an epiphany about this piece of armor, about what this means to you personally, what this means in your life and what you're supposed to do. You're going to to have an eye-opening experience this morning regarding that. Okay, the question is, Do you move forward with that? And if you do, one thing I guarantee you is you're going to be tested in it. That step of faith, in whatever that epiphany is, understanding that, when you take that step of faith, you're going to be tested in it. Because that's what makes your faith grow. That's what draws you into a closer relationship with him, which is the whole reason why he even keeps us on this earth. Otherwise, it would just make sense. Once we accept Christ as Savior, why not just take us right then? What's the point of keeping us here? What's the point of going through the testing that we have to go through? Certainly not happiness. Certainly not our joy here. Because we would be, no matter what our circumstances, we'd be happier in heaven. Would you all agree with that? Yeah. We'd be happier there. So why does he keep us here? Because he needs us to learn how to draw close to him through faith. That's what the Christian life is all about. It's not about doing. It's not about going out and going door to door and telling people about Christ. It's not about paying your tithes and offerings. It's not about going to church on Sunday morning. All those are a result of your walk with him. 
Those are all what we call fruits of your walk. Your walk is what you have to concentrate on. Those are what the rewards are for that he, he says we'll earn in, in our sanctification. It's, it's our walk. It's not what we do. It's how close we get. And think about it. The closer you get, the more you're going to do. just works that way. Because when we fill up with him, it starts to overflow. What overflows? Him. Him, he starts to pour out of us when we overflow, right? So today we're going to be talking about our first piece of armor, because the Holy Spirit, you know, Jesus knew there was going to be all kinds of problems that we were going to face. He said, I send this comforter to you, and by the way, you're going to have this defense mechanism, these pieces of defense that the Holy Spirit is going to work in you, that if you take them on, then you can actually engage in that battle. Whether you think the battle's there or not, the battle's there. What he's giving us is armor to prepare us for that battle, right? So we're talking about our first piece of the battle armor today, and that is the belt of truth. What is truth? Jesus is truth. Amen. Jesus is truth, and his word, every word that came out of his mouth is truth. I want you to turn to John 17. John 17, verse 15. And this will help to answer what is truth. John 17, verse 15 to 17 says this. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Okay, this is a prayer Jesus is praying to the Father. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. That's the whole truth. That's the basis of truth. His word, is, that's why we can go to it with anything. You look at the scripture for any answer that you need in life, because the scripture is truth. Turn to 2 Timothy 3, 16. Many of you know this verse. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is breathed out, and this is the ESV version, English Standard Version, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And verse 17, I'll add that in, says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So scripture is God-breathed. Okay, the Greek word there is theopneusos. It's T-H-E-O-P-N-E-U-S-T-O-S. And what it means is divinely breathed or given by inspiration. These are not words of men. The word of God are not just the thoughts of men, and these are really good men. They, you know, they were close to God. They walked with God, so they're, they're really good men. So, so you could trust it because it's really a good historical book. It's accurate historically. No. You have to understand in the foundation of your walk with Christ that his word is his very breathed word. It was breathed through the men who wrote the scripture. 
Okay, that's important to get, get your mind wrapped around because otherwise the enemy tells you when you read something and you're going through something really difficult, he's going to say, no, you, you need to just back off that. You know, you're, you're sharing Christ with this person and they're angry with you. Okay, you just, just back away. Stop talking about Christ. If you know this is God's word, you can go to the word of God and you can trust in the fact that this is his God-breathed word and it says in there that his word will never return void. So what you share with somebody in Christ, you know that it will have some sort of effect. right? So we can go to the word of God. We can trust the word of God. I want you to turn to John chapter 8. Okay, talking about this truth, okay, and the Bible being the truth, and we're remember we're equating this with the belt of truth. Okay, John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32 say this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. The truth will set you free. Does that mean free of trials? No. The truth will set you free as compared to... That's where that peace comes from. Remember he said that if we follow him, we get this peace that doesn't make any sense. Why in the world is that person at peace when they've got... Everything going wrong in their life. But they're following God. It's because he gives us that peace. When we know his word, what did it say? If you abide in my word, you're my disciples. Is he just talking to the 12 disciples that you know? That applies to every single one of us. Because if you look later, all he had the 12 disciples... But all the people who followed him, he called his disciples. So that, that applies to you and I. If his word abides in us, if it becomes a part of our lives, okay, then we are his disciples. If we don't abide in his word, we simply just use that as a label that I'm a Christian. By the way, you can be saved and not follow his word. You can accept Jesus Christ into your heart and then not follow what he says in these scriptures. Does that mean that you lose your salvation? No. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, write that down. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, guarantee your salvation. Guarantee your, your ticket to heaven, if you will. Because it's got nothing to do with you. There's a free gift given. No matter what you do the rest of your life, you will never lose that salvation. First Corinthians, or Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 promise that. Because it says you'll have it until you receive your inheritance. Which is when we're before him. But what do you lose? If we don't follow him, what we lose are the fruits of the Spirit. We lose the love, the joy, the peace. We, love, we lose those things that make our life effective for Jesus Christ. 
You can't do that without the Word of God. You can't follow Him without having an intimate relationship with the Word of God. It's impossible. Because otherwise you're looking through your own filter, your own lens. When you look at a situation, you apply your own thought process to it. And how many times has that gotten us into trouble? It does all the time. When we think, well, they should have done this, or they should have said that, or, or this is what I need to do here because, you know, I, I have this thought process in my head, perhaps of protection. I need to get angry with them because I need to protect me, or I need to protect my family. What would happen if we took everything out of the Word of God? What do you think would happen in your Christian life if every reaction you had came directly out of the Word of God? Do you think your life would change a little bit? Yeah. So why don't we? That's the tough question. Why don't we? I was faced with that question myself. And it's this little thing called control. At least for me, that's what it was. And I, I really believe that, that there's a measure of that in everybody. I want to control my destiny. I, I want this relationship with the Lord, but I want to control my outcome. Could be because of pain. Could be because of, of desire. It could be because of many different things, but still I want to control it. So I limit what I get to know in his word. I limit what I apply in his word. I limit the truth that he gives me to live by. And that's a dangerous thing to do. So if we abide in his truth, his truth sets us free. It sets us free from ourselves. From worrying that we have to do it. Right? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 25, says the truth should be evident in us. Starting at verse 22, it says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. What he's saying here is when you got saved, when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you became a new creature. He didn't say automatically I throw away that old self. He didn't say that he takes care of throwing away the old self, did he? He said that we are renewed, we are created as a new creature, but because of that, we have the capability of change. We have the capability of drawing close to him, but we have to put away all falsehood, right? As it says in verse 25, let each of us speak the truth to those around us. That's where safety is. That's why it says the truth will set you free. You can never get in trouble with truth. You might have some things happen that are hurtful, 
Because God sheds sin in our lives. If we are seeking Him, He's going to show you things that are difficult and that hurt. One, they hurt us, but in our minds, they hurt us to get rid of. Truth is what reveals what those things are. We call it a conscience. What it really is is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can give us truth and make us realize sin if we let him. You ever hear of a seared conscience? Okay, a seared conscience is when your relationship with the Holy Spirit has walls. You put up these walls because you know it's sin. But I don't want to keep hearing about it. I don't want to keep hearing, Holy Spirit, that it's sin. And what Jesus said in his word is that, is that you know, that's okay. He's going to keep working in that, but who's the one that really hurts in that? It's you. It's me. Because remember, if our number one reason for being here is our growth in our relationship with Jesus Christ, then it hurts that. It hurts the even, even the reason that we're here to draw close to him. It hurts that. Okay? So truth has to be evident in us. Why is truth pictured as a belt? You know, we're, we're going through this, this uh, uh, the whole armor of God, and, and, you know, Paul uses the, the idea of the armor of a Roman soldier to share with us these pieces of armor that we can apply to our lives, that we can put on to be this defense against the enemy. So, so why a belt? Why is truth pictured as a belt? What are some functions of a belt? A belt gives us support, right? Okay, completely surrounds us. And any of you ever um, work in a job where you do heavy lifting, that sort of thing, you might put on, or, or if you ever did weightlifting, I remember when I did uh, uh, weightlifting in football, we'd use weight belts to support our lower back, right? Because you're lifting something pretty heavy. You're taking on a heavy burden, so you use this belt to give you support. It's also interesting that the belt completely surrounds you, okay? This belt that we wear completely surrounds us. Otherwise, it doesn't work. If there's a piece missing, if it doesn't connect, if it just hangs there, it doesn't work, right? It has to completely surround us. Use that as the example of the truth being the Word of God. The Word of God supports us. The Word of God gives us the ability to take on other burdens. To take on burdens that we think are overwhelming, but that are required to increase our faith. The Word of God supports us to take that on. But it has to be all the way around us. We can't just have the belt, you know, undone or just the belt thrown over our shoulder. And we just use it when we want. We, we know it. It's there. We have a knowledge of the belt being there. We have a knowledge of the truth of the word of God. But we don't apply it because we don't put the belt on. To put the belt on means it controls us. When you put a belt on, you can't 
break out of that belt. It's there to support what you're putting on. Right? So that's the same with the Word of God. The Word of God is there to support what we're doing. You don't need to turn, turn to this verse, but I want to read Psalm 32, verse 10, if you want to write it down. But uh, Psalm 32, verse 10 says this, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. His love, when we know His Word, His love, which is His Word, surrounds us. And it talks about steadfast love. That's why at the beginning we talked about this being the Word of God being God-breathed, His actual breath. Because if we thought it was man or any part man, then there'd be some part of it that we couldn't trust. But there is no part of the word of God that we cannot trust because it was God himself that breathed it out and it surrounds us it says many sorrows of the wicked many are the sorrows of the wicked because they don't have that belt they don't have that truth but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord another verse I won't have you look up but I'll just tell you is Romans 11 verse 18 and uh, we'll read the second half of the verse. Romans eleven eighteen says this. Remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Okay, and he was talking about branches. In that passage, he's talking about branches and, and uh, Israel being a branch and then and Gentiles being a branch and then getting grafted in. And that's, you can read that. But what he's saying is, all of that, you don't support the root. The root is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, being the root, supports you. So it's his word that supports us. We don't uphold God's word. God's word upholds us. Don't ever feel like you have to defend the Word of God. The, the Word of God is established. You might have to share the Word of God. But the Word of God is established. We don't have to defend the Word of God. It is not some debate that we can win or we can lose. You cannot lose the effectiveness of the Word. You can lose your own effectiveness. And it's because God upholds us. We don't uphold his word. His word upholds us. That's such an important point. So now to the Roman soldier, the belt gathered their clothing and held it all together. Okay, if you, if you picture, you can kind of see in this picture here, where a Roman soldier, they, they have this, this um, really it's a gown, but... You know, they, they have this robe that they put on. They put the, the, uh, all the undergarments on, and they are just kind of free-flowing. You can imagine if they went to battle like that, how this robe would get in the way, right? It would get in the way. So what does the belt do? The belt comes around and gathers all that together. 
It puts it in place. It puts it in the place of being efficient. Okay, this is the first piece of armor that a soldier actually put on. Everything else was the undergarment. Everything else was, was you know, what they would put on to stay warm or to, to you know, have under the armor. The belt was actually the first piece they put on. And that's a great analogy for us because none of the other armor has, a, have a, has effectiveness. And definitely the sword, our only offensive weapon we'll talk about later, that doesn't have effectiveness if you don't have your belt on. The belt is the first thing you put on. The truth of God's word is the first thing you put on. That's our foundation. That's why he gave it to us. Because that's what we can always go back to, always refer to. That's why you put it on first. It gathers you together. It makes you efficient when you put it on properly. You can do the function, just like a Roman soldier, when they had their belt on, they can move the way they needed to move. They could function the way they needed to function because it held them all together. And amongst the other things that it did, giving support. Right? That's what the the truth of the Word of God does. The truth has to be the first thing we put on in, in this armor. And that's that's why I believe that 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 uh, uh, Paul referred to the truth of the Word of God as the belt. You know, in putting on the armor, it was the first thing that went on. Truth gives us everything that we need. Go ahead and turn to Second Peter, chapter one. Second Peter, chapter one, verse three says this, and and again, this, his truth gives us everything we need. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through what? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Through his knowledge, through the word of God, He has granted us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. Now, you know what? I I wasn't planning to, but I want to read further. I want to read down through verse 10 because this is is huge in a Christian's life. Okay, let's start with uh, 4 here. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Those are the promises in his word. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. What that's saying there is we can become partakers of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can grow in that relationship. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And again, that that goes back to the filters that I was talking about. Filters in which we look at life. When we look at life through our own filters, those are the sinful desires that it's talking about here. The Word of God gives you the capability of escaping that. Of getting away from that. For this, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith Remember, faith is the foundation. Faith in what? Faith in 
his word. Because his word is Jesus Christ. You know, look at the beginning of John. We talked about this Thursday night in our Bible study. The word is God. The word being the Bible, the scripture. So supplement that faith, which is the beginning, again back in verse 5, with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, I don't want to go on a rabbit trail here, but this is a really interesting passage to study because this is the the exact uh, plan, if you will, for discipleship or spiritual formation. Okay, when we start out in Christ, we start out as a baby in Christ. But then through understanding his word, through learning his word, through trusting him, through going steps of faith and going through trials in that faith, we draw closer to him, right? Picture it kind of like building a wall. You first build a foundation to that wall. Before you can put up a wall, okay, I've, I've, I've done many foundations for a house, right? You have to pour a footer first. You have to lay a foundation for that wall. Once you have that foundation, then you start putting the bricks on or the cinder blocks. You start putting those on and building those up. If you don't have that foundation, it's going to sink. It's going to fall. It's not going to be effective. But once you have the foundation, which is the word of God, then you can start putting your bricks up. Okay? And if you look at each one of these things, faith being the, the, the beginning, faith being that, that, um, that footer, if you will, then you add virtue. That's a brick. Then you add knowledge. Then you add self-control. Then you add steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Each time you add those, you're building brick upon brick upon brick. You're building this wall. Then what happens, as you study this later, I would encourage you to do that, what happens is you start again. Once you get that first row of brick down, well, if you want to continue in your wall... What do you do? You go on top of that, right? So now you start all over again. Now you increase your level of faith, right, which is the beginning. You increase your level of faith, then you add virtue, you add knowledge, and you're adding that second row. Then when you've got that solid in your walk with Christ, you're drawing close to him, he sees you're ready for that third one. Now that third one, you go back to the beginning. Because you take a step of faith, you've already got these rows under you because you've been tested in those. You've stepped out in faith. You know, perhaps the first time you stepped out financially in faith. This doesn't make sense, but God's telling me to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out and do it and trust him. And then he reveals himself through that. He provides for it. And you see how he, one, told you to do it. Two, provided for it. And you're now better for it. So you have that in your life. You have that underneath 
in your foundation that you're building, in this wall that you're building. So now you start again. Does this make sense? Now you're starting again. Now you're stepping out in a little more faith. God reveals something else to you that now takes a little bit more to step out in. Okay, and then when you do that, you add all these other things, and they go in an order. Again, I, I don't want to necessarily get into this. We'll get into it another time. But you add virtue, then becomes knowledge, then becomes self-control, then becomes steadfastness, then becomes godliness, brotherly affection, and love. When you get through that whole line in that test, you're ready to start another row in your walk with Christ. That's what he does. That's what the word of God does. So verse 9, for whoever, or I'm sorry, verse 8, and this is the part where it tells us that this is a cyclical process that builds upon itself. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. We forget when we don't go through this process, when we don't, by the way, this process is in the word of God is called sanctification. From the moment you get saved, your salvation, your justification is set, is done, is sealed. It's over. There's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. Okay, But from that moment until the moment that you breathe your last breath and stand before the Lord is a process called sanctification. That is simply how close we get to the Lord Jesus Christ in our relationship with him. And that's what he's saying here, that when you don't do this process... Or when you let that process lack, you forget what he did for you. You forget that he bought you with a price. You forget that he saved you from hell. From eternal torment. And when we forget that, that's when those lenses that we put on get darker. Get thicker. Where we just can't see him. We can't see life through him. And again, that's what this process of drawing close to him and, and having our foundation in the word of God, that's what it does for us. Let's just finish with verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Or you will ne I'm sorry, you will never fall. If you practice this process, of sanctification, if you practice this process of drawing close to him, this continual building momentum in your walk with Christ, if you do that, you'll never fall. doesn't say you'll fall sometimes. doesn't say that, well, you'll fall a little bit. It says you'll never fall. doesn't mean you won't go through pain. Okay, don't, don't misunderstand. He's not saying if you do this, you will just have a happy life. <laughs> Happiness and joy are two very different things. You know, you can look at so many examples in the Word of God, as well as even today, where people and their circumstances 
There's no way they could be happy. Look at some of these missionaries that, that stepped out into areas where no one had ever been. And, and they just went through fight after fight after fight and then even lost their lives. You can't say that's happiness. Right? You're not happy. You don't necessarily feel good. But you have joy. See, joy is different. Joy is something that comes from within. It's not external. Happiness is external. Hey, it's 78 degrees sunny and I'm sitting on the beach. I'm happy. It doesn't mean I'm joyful. I could be 15 degrees outside, 6 feet of... Well, that would actually make me happy, but for those of you who hate it, 6 feet of snow, 15 degrees blowing, and you don't have a jacket on. Okay, you're not happy at all. Doesn't mean you're not joyful. Because joy comes from within. Joy is a direct result of your walk with God. That's why it doesn't make sense. That's why this peace he gives doesn't make sense. It says a peace that passes all understanding. People look at you and say, how in the world can you be joyful? That's well, because of what you have inside. It's because of this walk that we have. And, and when you have this walk and you continue to build this sanctification in your life, this walk with the Lord, claim his promise. His promise is you will never fall. Never. Ever, 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 ever fall. Ever. Think about that. That is power. That's huge. You ever feel defeated in your life? You ever feel like I've done something that has brought me to a place where I just feel like I'm worthless. I have not done anything right. Somewhere you got off track in this process. Because he said here, his promise is you would never fall. Again, don't misunderstand happiness versus joy. It also doesn't mean that we know everything. Sometimes when we step out in faith and we're doing something that, that we know he wants us to do that may not make any sense, man, you begin to question yourself. That's easy for us to do even with this church. Oh, we, you know, we're not in a building. We don't have, you know, a praise team. We, do, we don't have all these, all these things that surround us. It's easy to think and question, what do we do wrong? You know, God, what do we do wrong that we find ourselves, I find myself at 50 years old in a house preaching. <laughs> what do I do wrong, Lord? But see, it isn't that. I just stepped up and began to build just a whole new set of bricks. And to do that, he has to test me. He has to test you. When you step out in faith, don't look at the circumstances as the result. Be careful of that. Because he wants to show you something special. And if you trust him, he's going to. Because it's all about faith. It's all about trusting him. 
So what else does a belt do? And I think this is one of the most important things. When you think of a belt, certainly, certainly the belt of a Roman soldier, what does it hold? It holds a sword. Oftentimes it, it would hold a sword and it would hold a dagger. Okay, in, in modern terms, if you look at, a, at, at modern army, it holds a lot more than that. I mean, just look at a police officer. Their belt holds everything. You know, it's, it's got their cuffs, it's got their gun, it's got their mace, it's got whatever else. Same, same with an army or, or in the military. Their belts hold everything they need. How about a construction worker? Okay, if I were to show you my belt, my belt when I used to do construction would have pockets and have places for everything I needed. So I didn't have to carry it. I only grabbed it when I needed it. If I needed my hammer, it's, it's, it's right there. If I needed tape measure, it's right there. I just grab it. The belt supported that. That's how it was for, for a Roman soldier. The belt supported the tools that he needed. And this is an important point because in that case, it supports his sword and perhaps a dagger. Okay, So for a sword, if you look at the entire armor of God, all of it's defensive except one thing, except the sword. The sword is our only offensive weapon, right? And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. It says the sword is the word of God, is what it says in Ephesians 6. It's actually the application of the word of God. It's application in offensive sense, in going after the enemy, right? Don't confuse the two because the truth is the word of God. The sword is the application of the word of God. Again, which we'll talk about later, but the truth is what holds it together. You know, there's no other piece of armor that is effective without the belt. Think about that. You know, it's the same thing with the Word of God. No other piece of armor is effective without the Word of God. Okay, our sword isn't effective, because it is the Word of God. It's the application of the Word of God. Our righteousness, if we didn't have the Word of God wrapped around us, surrounding us, our breastplate of righteousness wouldn't mean anything. It wouldn't do anything. Okay, our feet that are shod with the shoes of peace wouldn't mean anything. Our helmet of salvation would not mean anything. Now, don't be confused. What it's talking about there in terms of the armor, the helmet of salvation, it's not talking about justification. It's not talking about you accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because that has nothing to do with the armor of God. Because no one can take it away from you. The enemy cannot come and take away your ticket to heaven, your justification, your 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 salvation, that piece of salvation. What he can take away is your sanctification. He can, and, and the Bible 
again, I don't want to rabbit trail here, but when the Bible talks about salvation, you have to understand salvation is in three parts. Your first part is accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. That's justification. Your second part is drawing close in your walk with Christ. That's sanctification. The third part we're going to realize when we stand before him, and that's our glorification. So when you read the word salvation in the word of God, you've got to understand that it could mean one of those three things. Here, the helmet of salvation is talking about your sanctification because that can be taken away from you, especially if you do not have on that first piece of armor, which is the word of God. The foundation of our offense must be built on truth or it will be ineffective. Remember I said the belt holds our home or our only offensive weapon that Paul talks about here. If it's not wrapped in truth, it'll be ineffective. Have you ever had a time or seen somebody where where they talk about God and they talk about how they're a follower, but then you see inconsistencies in their life? Okay, and well, you know what? They but they do this, they do this, they do this, they do this. Or, like on that video, perhaps they lie. They tell these white lies or whatever. What does that make you think about their walk? It's going to certainly be ineffective to you. If you see inconsistencies in their life, and I'm not talking about sin, that, that then you know we have inconsist- inconsistencies that we, we repent over. I'm not saying that you're perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about consistencies in our speech. When we have the word of God wrapped around us, we will be consistent in saying what the word of God is. doesn't mean there won't be inconsistencies in what we do, because, you know, unfortunately, we are still stuck with this, this body, this fallen body, right? We're still stuck in a body of sin. But the more we wrap the word of God around us, the more it protects us, the more integrity we build. And then other people, when they look at us, they say, yeah, you know, that person speaks truth. You know, I I see something different in that person, perhaps the world would say. I don't know what it is, but they're, they're different. Or other Christians might say, well, I know what it is. It's Jesus Christ in that person. You know, there's a consistency in that person. So how do we incorporate truth into our daily lives? You've got to have integrity. You've got to have honesty. We can't live a dual life of doing what we want to do and then wrapping ourselves around with the Word of God. It doesn't work. Because the Word of God produces that consistency. The Word of God produces that honesty, that integrity. Have you ever met a person who just is full of integrity and and honest? What happens? You know you could trust what they say, right? Have you ever met the opposite? 
Yeah, we've all, we've all met both. You know someone who doesn't have integrity, who doesn't have honesty in their life, you know you can't trust them. It just doesn't work. Because you know that they're relying on themselves. And I don't know about you, but I want to listen to somebody who is listening to someone much bigger than themselves. That are trusting in the word of God. And when I find those people that have integrity and honesty, I cling to them. I'm drawn to them. doesn't mean I swallow everything they say. Acts 17.11 says you need to be as the Bereans. Even, even what I'm saying to you right now, you are not supposed to believe hook, line, and sinker. You're supposed to receive with an open heart, Acts 17.11 says. Receive with an open heart, receive with an open mind, but then go home and you prove. You dig in the Word of God yourself. You put on your own belt and you prove what I'm saying. You prove what these people that you hold in high esteem, you prove what they say. Because what happens there? The Holy Spirit then secures it in your heart. I didn't just hear this from a person. I heard it from a person, but then it was confirmed in his word. It was confirmed by the Holy Spirit through his word. It's all got to be about the word. That's our foundation. That's what we can trust in. That's what we can always go to. So we've got to have integrity and honesty. Even lies that are seemingly innocent can chip chip away at our integrity. And we're all faced with this. (laughs) I mean, how many times have you come to something and, and man, you're, you're just on a great path with the Lord. Your, your devotions are going great. Everything's going great. And you're, you're on this path. You're growing. And then all of a sudden you're hit with a test. Perhaps it's an old friend. Or perhaps it's something, some, it's something that, that came up. And in your mind you know. You know that just this little white lie. Just this. It's not even a bad lie. It, it really doesn't even hurt anything. In fact it's going to help. And and you just say this little white lie and then go about your business and continue. What happens? That person may never know that you lied. But you do. So does Jesus Christ. And what happens is you just, to a certain extent, derailed your progress with him. Because, see, we can't have anything between, between us and Christ in our walk with Him. Any kind of sin in our walk with Him impedes our walk with Him. So if your goal is to get from point A to point B, point B being fully immersed in a relationship with Jesus Christ, anything, any kind of sin, no matter how bad, how, you know, not so bad, if you classify them that way, Anything is going to take me a little bit off track from that point B. Whether people know it or not, because people are not the judge. People are not the ones who say, oh, well, yeah, he's okay or he's not okay. or You, know, she, she, you can accept that. No, it's Jesus Christ who we're going to stand before. 
It's Jesus Christ who judges. It's also Jesus Christ who we're trying to get close to. And by the way, it's the same for everybody. We don't all have individual ways of getting close to him. He didn't write thousands of Bibles. Well, this one applies to you, and this one applies to you, and oh, you get this one because you're special. No. He wrote one word of God. He gave us everything in that word that we need. Everything that we will ever need. And so our walk with him is applied to that. And that's what it's judged off of. And so we have an opportunity in having this foundation of the word of God. We have an opportunity to be honest. We have an opportunity to have integrity. Why is that even important? Because God wants to use us. He wants to use us, and he can't use us if we don't have integrity, if we don't have honesty. So even the smallest little lie can hurt your integrity and honesty, especially if people find out. If it's just a small lie, but somebody saw it or somebody knew it, that that ruins your integrity with that person. Like that. And do you know how hard it is to build trust in a person once you've lost trust? Even a little bit. Sometimes it's impossible. You know, it's very, very difficult. You don't want to lose that integrity. So where do you, where do you start if, you've, if, you, if you don't have that, if you don't have on it, if you come from a place where... You know, that's just, it's just very natural to even do these little white lies. To have integrity, to have honesty. If, that, if that's not net, how do you even start? You start right here in the Word of God. Because what he promised, what we read in Second Peter, he promised that if you begin going through those steps, you'll never fall, right? So as you start going through these steps, what he builds in you is honesty, is integrity. And people will see it. In time, people will see it. Because those are the people that you can trust. Those are the people that you know have your back. Because they have integrity. They have honesty. One last verse I want to go over is John 16. Turn to John chapter 16 talks about the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and he will guide us in all truth. So John chapter 16. You know what? Did I, I think I missed. Oh, you know what? Before you turn there, I'm sorry. I missed, a, I missed one. Turn to Romans 12, and you, you guys know this anyways, but I want to read it. And this is how we must take his truth and apply it to our lives. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 say, say this. And I think we read this even the other week. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. By the way, that's God's expectation. That's not something that he wants us to aspire to. 
That is what he expects of us because of what he paid for on the cross in our lives. So that is our spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now the three breakdowns there of the will of God We won't get into it today, but those are different levels of his will for our lives. You have a basic will, you have a permissive will, and you have a perfect will. And we have a choice to be part of any of those. But your effectiveness in life, your effectiveness as a Christian, will wane based on the ones you choose. You can decide to be in the permissive will of God and and not have the effectiveness that you think you should have. You gotta, you gotta go for that perfect will of God. So again, we must take on His truth and apply it to our lives. We, we come before Him every day. We're not conformed to this world, but we're transformed. So now turn to John chapter 16. And we're gonna read verse 13. Remember I said at the beginning that, that when we're saved, Jesus said when He left, He said, I'll send you a comforter. He said, I'll, I'll send you a helper. I'm going to send you this, this partner okay, that, that will partner with you to make you effective and give you a, a joyous life. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's who it's talked about here in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. What it's saying here is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and he guides us in all truth. You cannot read the word of God on your own. And just from the knowledge of the word of God, gain everything you need from it. You have professors, you have even theologians that are not saved that know nothing about salvation, sadly enough, but they know the Word of God because it's a historical book to them. Okay, the difference there is they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, which gives us the Holy Spirit. And it says right there in that verse that the Holy Spirit is who tells us what the Scriptures say. He illuminates the meaning of the Scripture to us. So you must partner with the Holy Spirit in your walk with Christ. As you build that next set of bricks, each time you build the next layer and next layer, and you're drawing closer and closer to Jesus Christ, it's because you're partnering with the Holy Spirit in your walk. If you don't partner with Him, then you have trouble getting closer to Christ. You can't get there on your own. That's why He gave a comforter. Before the Holy Spirit was sent, Jesus Christ was with the disciples. He was there with them. What did, if you read through the Gospels, which on Thursday nights uh, for, for the college ignition we're doing, anybody's invited, by the way, because we don't have a, another midweek service, but anybody, we do it right here Thursday night, 7 o'clock. What we started last week, I'm very excited about. We're doing a, a comparison of the four Gospels about the life of Christ. And what we're going to find, and, and you would find if you, if you go into the Word of God, in, into the four Gospels, is Christ upheld 
his disciples. He poured into them. He taught them. He cared about them, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does for us right now. You have to develop this relationship with the Holy Spirit. He is your partner in your walk to draw closer to Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads.